Don't miss the latest stories and analysis about the future of education from the ReLearning Project. Sign up for the weekly newsletter at chronicle.com slash relearning. Hello, and welcome to the Chronicle of Higher Education's ReLearning Podcast, a weekly look at the future of education. I'm Jeff Young. Today's episode comes by request. We asked you, our listeners, who we should bring on the podcast, and the top pick was someone a little different. We usually talk to people who are pushing for change in education, usually with technology, but when we tallied the votes, the winner was a critic of technology, Audrey Waters. On her influential blog and in speeches she gives around the country, Audrey Waters warns that gadgets deserve more scrutiny and that they often mask what she sees as a political attack on the academy. Waters knows higher education as an insider. She was an almost PhD, having come just chapters away from finishing her dissertation, and she taught for years when she was a graduate student. But she now stands on the outside looking in. She's a fiercely independent voice who refuses to accept ads on her blog or do consulting. Her website describes her job description with one word, troublemaker. Just a few weeks ago, she started a podcast called Tech Gypsies. Each week now, she and her partner, who's an advocate for open software standards called APIs, they riff on the latest edtech news. And as always, she calls things like she sees them. After listening to the first few episodes, one thing struck me. She's deconstructing what she calls a Silicon Valley narrative that she sees as pushing into higher education. So when I talked to her by Skype this week, I was really curious to ask her, what does she mean by this Silicon Valley narrative? And what does she most want people to understand about it? To me, again, this is, you know, this is certainly comes from my background of having spent a lot of time um, thinking about culture. Um, my master's degree was in folklore. Um, so that's sort of very much about ethnography, um, culture, people, stories that we tell. I'm also really interested in systems and institutions. Mm-hmm. And so I want people to really think about what is technology doing. I mean, because it isn't simply, I think we really like the story that technology is inevitable, that technology is wrapped up in our notions um, of progress, and that somehow progress is inevitable itself and is positive. And I think that there are lots of ways in which we can scrutinize the way in which technology is changing the world um, changing our culture, changing our institutions that, um, that aren't necessarily about sort of, um, about progress or to put a political bent on it about progressive, a progressive, um, change. How bad does she think tech can be for colleges? Well, she calls herself the Cassandra of ed tech. And since she studied folklore and loves the classics, she understands the weight of that comparison. In the end of her latest book, she writes, As Cassandra, I must warn you that education technology's monstrosity will bring about our doom. Education technology is the Trojan horse poised to dismantle public education, to outsource and unbundle and disrupt and destroy. So yeah, um, (laughs) heavy stuff. And I asked her to give a specific example of a technology these days that she sees as one of these Trojan horses being dragged into the academic gates. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Where should I start? Um, no, I mean, I think that one of the things that really interests me, and this is connected, I would say, to the Silicon Valley narrative, is the way in which we talk a lot about personalization through technology. And what are the values, I think, that Americans in particular 
tend to really privilege individualism. And so there's something really appealing culturally for us with this notion that we're going to have um, software. And this is, it isn't just educational software, but we're going to have software systems that are individualized and personalized to meet our needs, right? Amazon says it does this. Netflix says it does this. Facebook says it does this. Um, and so I think that, you know, we as Americans really like the idea that the world is about us as individuals. And I think that there's, you know, that it's important to recognize that that's a cultural value. Individualism is a cultural value. It's not a natural way of being. But there's something about the classroom that also um, involves a collective experience. We learn from one another. It isn't simply just a matter of um, things being personalized or individualized to meet our needs. And so what happens when we decide that we're going to all be on our individual um, computing devices working through um, lessons um, at our own individual pace? What happens to dialogue? What happens to discussion? What happens to debate? And I think that's one of these things that sort of, as we've decided that we sort of describe education as these sort of polar opposites, that it's either a mass lecture or it's, you know, the sort of individualized, personalized experience. And I think that that's, those are sort of extremes on both ends. But what happens when we do lose the ability to spend time as groups talking, working through material together? I think that university professors are still, like, they, they see many technologies, with the exception of, I think, folks who adopt them on their own. But I think a lot of folks see technology as something that's done to them, that's imposed upon them, that's not really their decision to make, that it's some somebody else makes the decision about the technology, right? Somebody else decides whether the room is going to have a projector or the room is going to, you know, the computers in the, in the teaching facilities have windows or are they are they max? Um, these are all decisions that fe- technologies all feel very much out of the hands of individual instructors. And so, so I f- really feel as though this is something technology has, feels as though something that gets done to the classroom and um, isn't, really, isn't really interesting um, to many, many professors. It seems like an ob- obligatory thing. You've described on your blog how you dropped out of a PhD program, you know, a while back now, out of disillusionment with higher education. And, you know, after that, there's lots of directions you could have headed um, in your career. And I'm curious why you decided to devote your writing and the focus of, of your work on education and, you know, hack edu- hacking education, or that your blog is called Hack Education, you know, to hack education. Why, why kind of be somebody who is um, watching and writing about um, higher education? You know, I, I, you know, I think that this question of disillusionment is, um, is actually pretty significant because when I was working on my PhD, I sort of already saw the handwriting on the wall and this was circa 2007, 2008 when I dropped out. Um, I saw the sort of the adjunctification of higher education And for me, I sort of realized that despite having spent really my adult life in college, right, I'm having devoted myself to becoming a scholar and perhaps a professor, that 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 was actually not realistic. I saw the job prospects. Um, My 
my PhD would have been in comparative literature, the job prospects were bad. And I didn't feel as though um, as a single mom, I could afford to be an adjunct. Um, I had to look for something else. And so I managed to get a job working in education technology, which is something that's always um, interested me and been adjacent to what I've done, both as a student and as a, as a teacher, and sort of took it from there and decided that paying closer attention to what was happening to the institution of higher education and K-12 but um, and how technology was changing or not changing um, became really interesting to me. Again, as a researcher, as a writer, and as someone who really cares about making this making this a place um, that is more just, more equitable, um, and less deceptive, less dis- less disillusioning. I think naturally, folks I talk to in Silicon Valley see things differently. I mean, I think they'd argue they provide an important lever these days to push higher education to modernize and adapt to the times. So I asked Waters to respond to, to that idea. Well, I mean, I think that this is, this is, the, this is the challenge for us to, to think about and to think, I think, beyond just sort of coverage of new products. I think that there are lots of factors in play here. Um, what do we do with um, shrinking public funding, right? There's a there's a point where the when people say we have to do more for less, that you just throw up your hands and say we can't we can't do more with less. Mm-hmm. So the question of public funding, I think, is is real. And whatever happens with the technologies that we use, um, what does it look like? Are we going to make a commitment to publicly funded higher education the same way that we have valued publicly funded? for better or for worse, K through 12. If everyone goes to, is supposed to go to college, do we actually find a way as a society to pay for that? Um, so that's, I mean, I think that that's one, one piece of the puzzle that's sort of outside the realm of, of, of technology. But then we have to think too, what is it, why do we want, what, what is the value that we see in higher education? Is it about making, what does it mean when we say we want people to have sort of high, you know, high tech skills? Um, What does it mean to sort of say that going to college is about skills? Uh, What does that, what does that look like? What does that mean in terms of the kinds of things we want students to learn? I think that that's been a huge, a huge push is sort of, um, and, you know, we can, again, trace this certainly back as as far as Reagan, you know, as governor of California, who was really adamant when he saw the student protests in in the state that students needed to stop learning about these sort of political things and just they were in college to get jobs. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of conversation about college is about jobs really, I think, um, is a different mission. I think the many, many faculty see their mission, um, their mission being of sort of, you know, um, thought, deep thought, research, scholarship, the sort of practical jobs thing is, is a different narrative. And then, and, you know, and then so much of this is outside the control of universities. If the job market is crap, like there's, you know, there's not a lot you can do. Um, this is, these are the, sort of the job market, the labor market isn't, isn't something that universities are responsible for. And so, I mean, I think that there are many things at play that may or may, may, or may or not prompt higher education 
to change. And I think that there are many, many places in which we have great entrenchment in our institutions that are resistant to change as well. I mean, we can talk about badges, for example. We can talk about, you know, going to a coding boot camp for an eight-week program. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, does you know, do employers value that? Or does an employer still value a, a degree from a university, a university that they recognize and respect. And that's a, you know, that's a question of prestige and no amount of technological innovation right now really gets at that prestige question. To me, it's clear Audrey Waters is not against technology, not at all. In fact, listening to her podcast reminded me just how deep she dives into digital culture. I think she's arguing that professors should actually do more with technology to get more involved and be more savvy. Don't just put photos on Facebook or put work on commercial platforms, she argues. Set up your own website. Have a domain of your own. Instead of accepting the Trojan horse, her answer is build your own. This has been the Relearning Podcast. It's part of the Chronicle of Higher Education's coverage of innovation at colleges, and you can read all of our articles at chronicle.com relearning, including a profile of Audrey Waters. If you like this podcast, subscribe on iTunes or take a minute to give it a rating. To share your thoughts about anything Audrey Waters said or to argue with her or against her, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash relearningproject. Or you can talk to us on Twitter at relearningedu. Today's show is edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. Our theme music was by Jason Cadell. We'll be back next week with more stories about the new learning landscape.